Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Wendy Dickinson. She is executive coach specializing in family business complexities, role transitions, M&A, and she's a speaker and an author. She's an expert coach in middle market business culture, improving relationships to increase value and profits. She partners with owners to successfully execute strategy processes to maximize returns while minimizing regrets. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Amy, it is so good to be here with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for our topic today. First, can you share your story with us and how you became an executive coach? Amy, I will tell you that I am from a family of people that did not have inherited wealth. They were people who pretty much learned how to do things and how to make things, and that's what they did. And so my dad was a high-rise steel worker for years, ended up being on strike more than he was working, and lo and behold, started his own construction company. And unfortunately, never had the business skills to really make that company an asset. What he really created for himself was a job. And I don't have any judgment about that. If we go into that and we know when we start a company, that's what we want to do. We just want to give ourselves a job. That's great. But if you think that you're going to sell that company one day, or if you hope that company is going to become part of your portfolio and allow you to accumulate wealth, he didn't have that knowledge and it really hurt him and it impacted the entire family. So I had that experience growing up. And then I had the experience of starting my career as a therapist. And I worked with people on different mental health, but also substance abuse issues, different challenges and obstacles when life happens and we just don't know how to cope with that. And from there, had the experience with another couple, my husband and I started a company back in the day. And Amy, we had two goals. Number one, we knew we wanted to start a company to sell it. So that was very different from my growing up time experience. And then second of all, we wanted to walk away friends with our other, with the other couple. And so the way we brought that about was we chose our target acquirer. And so everything we did, it wasn't about which of us was right or wrong. It was about what brings us closest to our goal. What's in the greatest alignment with our goal to build a company that somebody will want to buy one day, much less to a Fortune 1000. And so after six and a half years, Amy, not only were we still friends, but we sold to our target acquirer, which was Iron Mountain. So those experiences brought the hit home to me, how important it is to know what you don't know, to have your goal right in front of you and use that goal to keep you on a path. And then to really see what I could do to support people who are working to create companies who want to sell the company one day And then how I can help that company become value added in the person's life. So what are the three pitfalls that business owners make? Oh, gosh. Pitfalls, of course, they can just be all over the business landscape. But I see three most often. 
first of all, they build the business around themselves. So if somebody builds a business and they just want to make widgets, but they don't pay any attention to the marketing, to the bookkeeping, all of those things, that will not be a company that's appealing to a prospective buyer. Second of all, they think it's worth more than it really is. So I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to are like, yeah, I don't have to worry because I have my business and I'm going to sell it and that's how I'm going to retire. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to be set. It'll be great. And unfortunately, they don't really know how much that business is worth or they don't appreciate how difficult it is to sell. And then lastly, they fail to create an entity that's separate from themselves. And what I mean by that, and it is different than building the business around yourself. What I mean by that is, is that we as business owners have to build a life outside of that business. We have to be ready emotionally, spiritually, physically to separate from that business at some point. That's the only way that sale is going to happen. So people fall into those three things constantly. So instead of building that business around yourself, what are some ways that you can begin to create a better vision for your business? I'll give you an example. So I actually have a client who came to me in January of 2020. So before COVID and this person had been working with a financial planner and knew that they wanted to sell the business in five to seven years. And so the financial planner said, I think it's harder to sell a company than you think. Why don't you talk to somebody about that and see what you can do? First of all, this is somebody who's thinking about it, right? They want to know what the process is like. So that's one thing. Choose to act, think, and imagine that business as being of value to a prospective buyer. And that's going to be somebody who isn't you as the owner. Sounds so obvious. And so what we did, this client and I, is we worked together over about 11 weeks and came up with seven or eight things that they could do to build value within their company. And so when COVID hit and COVID shut down that company, they took that time that they were closed and executed on seven of those eight tactics to build value within the business. So when they came out of COVID and were able to reopen, they were number one, positioned better in the marketplace. Number two, they had leveraged that off time to build value in the company. And number three, every single thing they did is going to be appealing to a prospective buyer. Wow. That's really amazing. So why, why is the exit plan important for your business, especially for those that are like, maybe they're just starting out? Yeah. And gosh, it's such a tough place to be, isn't it? When you're first starting a company, there's so many things to do and so many hats to wear. And I was actually just talking to a business owner about this earlier today. It's important to, to prioritize. And I think that exit plan helps you to do that more efficiently and effectively. So for example, with the client that I spoke to earlier today, the number one priority is generating revenue, clearly. However, the person came to me and said, oh, but I talked to a marketing person and they said that I need to do all of these marketing things right now. And oh, and I talked to this other person and they said that I needed to buy these things. And so what we were able to do is look at, okay, which of these options that are in front of you are in alignment and would be of value 
to a prospective buyer if you are going to one day sell your business? Which of these things actually adds value to your business? And to put that exit plan, just to give it enough life to say it out loud or write it down, you can come back to that and use it as a guardrail. So then you, if you've got generate revenue and you've got, I want to sell the company one day, you have two really clear guardrails. And so you are then able to look at all of the tasks that are in front of you and decide which are the tasks that align with both of these particular criteria and which are the ones that you can put lower on your priority list and get to when you have money. Yeah, that's really good. So what are the key things a business owner needs to think about when putting together the exit plan? First of all, I think that it's so important to look at a timed exit versus one that's a necessity. And what I mean by that is so often we don't plan for something to happen to us as business leaders. We plan at times for different variations within our business cycle. Those can be seasonal. It can also be according to what our industry or our market is doing at the time. So if you decide, okay, I would like to retire and sell my business sometime around the age of, let's say, 45. If you've got five years, then you have five years where you have the opportunity to build value within your business, talk to a financial planner, do some estate planning, go ahead and look and look at the tax implications with your accountants. You can also begin to clean up the books with your bookkeeper or your CFO. You have the opportunity to really time things out, what needs to happen when, and you also have an opportunity, Amy, to develop a relationship with either a business broker or an investment banker, and they can keep tabs on your industry to say, hey, the multiples in your interest industry right now are very good. I think you, you should consider selling at 44 instead of 45, because next year it might be over your multiples might not be what they are today. So if you have those relationships and you're giving yourself that time and taking one step each month or every two weeks or however you design your plan, then it's not going to feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. It's going to feel like a very deliberate thing. And I'm going to contrast that with those that are out of necessity. So Unfortunately, a number of people have been negatively impacted by COVID, right? And those things could happen even before COVID. But if we are suddenly sick or, heaven forbid, die, where will our company be without us? So if you have gone ahead and creating a plan for, number one, what would happen in a timed exit, but number two, come up with a personal crisis plan. and or a key personnel crisis plan, if you will. So like with your marketing company, you might have a team, right? And so maybe if you happen to need to step out of the company for three weeks or a month or three months, you might have put a plan in place so that your team would know who was gonna pick up what, when, how they were gonna keep you in the loop, what their the extent of their power would be in that situation. The same with a company that suddenly you get sick or you're not able to work anymore. 
how are you going to handle that if you want to sell that company? If you've already created an exit plan, you might know how you need to speed up that plan to get out of it in a, in sooner versus if you weren't, you had no plan at all, suddenly not able to work, disabled in some way, and you had to sell the company, you're going to get dollars on pennies on the dollar. You're not going to get the dollars that you had originally hoped for. And you might really need that money then. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about family owned businesses, because this is something that is pretty unique and a lot of people deal with it. What are some of the things that they should be thinking about when it comes to an exit plan? First of all, I just want to say I love family businesses and the greater majority of companies that make the world's economy operate are family businesses. They are so important. It's a great place to teach people about money and about how to be in relationship, a business relationship and a family relationship. So it can family businesses can provide so many opportunities in learning and growing and developing as a leader. The thing that I really believe that family businesses should think about is number one, time goes really fast. So if you bring your kids up saying one day this business will be yours and yet you have not put away any kind of savings so that you can fund your own retirement, are you really going to be in a position to give that business to your kids? Most family businesses are not in that position. Now, there's some are. We all know about the Walton family with Walmart, right? They have the ability, they have created a family governance office. They're able to do take so many steps to take care of other people in the family who may or may not be working in the business. But for the most businesses that we're familiar with that are family businesses, people are not going to be able to just give them to the kids, probably. So how are you going to handle that? Are you going to sell that to those family members? If so, that business structurally is going to have to be different than if you were just going to hand the keys over when you wanted to leave. So that's one thing to think about. Another is to understand that people's goals change as they age. Right now, we've got five generations in the workplace in some cases. So if you look at most conflict in family business comes from competing goals. So one or two generations may be all about the liquidity. They just want to get their money out. They're either at an age where they no longer want to work or they're no longer able to work. So they want to be able to pay for their health care or pay for a move or whatever. Other people within the company and within the family may want to control what's going on. They're like, we just want to keep things on this track so that we, like our parents and grandparents, can retire comfortably, make a good living. That's what we're about. We're all about the control. And chances are there are other people in the family in a younger generation who are about growth and change. They don't want to do things the same way all the way they've always been done. That doesn't work anymore. It's come on, granddad, you've got to, you've got to have a website. We've got to have an up-to-date website. We need a marketing strategy. Come on. So control, growth, liquidity, those are three very different kinds of goals. And so those are things 
key issues for business owners to really take a look at within their family business so that they can navigate those differences successfully. And then the last thing I've already mentioned is really doing the financial planning and do it as a group. Have it be familiar with estate planning, be familiar with what's going on with accounting, keep up to date on those things so that you're able to make decisions that are, again, in alignment with what your ultimate goals are. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the smaller businesses, maybe because I have a lot of listeners that there's, it's just them, but it's like they're a coaching or consulting business. Maybe they have a small staff. Maybe they've got a few VAs or project managers that work with them. So when do you, as a young business need to start um, thinking about the exit plan and what are some of the things that you would tell newer people to focus on? Because as I'm listening to some of the things that you're saying, even in my own business, yeah, I can think about how things are structured or a project, how something might be a value add is my social media growth. Is that a value add? Is that something that I can hand off? Or is that just all based on my personality? Asking me those myself, some of those questions, but from that perspective of a smaller business, what are some things that people can start to do to think about and to work on now? with a smaller business? Thank you so much for asking this question, Amy, because this is something that I think my tagline about maximize returns and minimize regrets. This is the time of growth and development of a business where I think there can be some regrets. One of the things I would say is what name are you doing business under, right? So often we get advice of, in, especially in those service-oriented business that you described a moment ago, where we are advising people to use their name. Use your name, yeah. The problem with that is, is that it's your name. And so if you want to grow a business to sell it one day, you're not gonna necessarily wanna sell your name. If you say, for example, and I'm gonna use myself, Wendy Dickinson and Associates is the registered name, but I'm doing business as Ascend Coaching Solutions, then Ascend Coaching Solutions is a brand that I can build. Now, right now, I'm the sole practitioner, perhaps, but I can build that, build out my team, and then it can transfer fairly easily to somebody else, right? That's one example. Another is to really take a look at what is your the organizational structure of your business going to be? So again, I'm going to go back to those coaches, um, service providers, those kinds of things. So to look at what are your superpowers? What is your thing? So for example, Amy, yours is marketing, obviously. So you, of course, will want to oversee marketing, but does it make sense for you to be the bookkeeper? Probably not. So when you're looking at all of the tasks and functions within your business, you have operations, you have the financials, and we're going to include data as well as reporting and such that needs to be done on, under that. Then we look at perhaps the marketing strategy. Then we look at delivery of service or product. All of those things represent a different aspect of your business. And really what businesses are collections of systems. So what I would suggest is that when you know what your superpower is and you've, you've created the process for how it is you do what you do and how it is that you do it differently than anybody else, so your value proposition, then you can begin to look at who are your next hires? What makes sense, given that you wanna create a business that you're gonna sell one day, 
what makes sense for you not to do whenever you have the revenue to do that, whenever it makes sense. For me, I'm not a bookkeeper. I'm terrible at that, actually. And so it makes sense for me to pay somebody $100 a month or so to be my bookkeeper. That makes sense to me. That was one of my first things to do because I knew that's not what I excel at. So my books are clean. My books are super pretty and clean. Anybody could come in and look at what I'm doing and know exactly how much I'm making, knowing what my profitability is, knowing what my break-even is. So that's an example of how somebody who's just starting out, look at your organizational structure, what it's going to be, and base it around or build it around your superpower, your proprietary process, your value prop, build out the rest of the company. And then once you have the rest of those hats, seats filled, let's use seats, then Start looking at how you can build out a team to do what it is you do in the way that you want it done. That's when you can, and that could be five years, it could be six, seven, 10, but then you bring in people to do what you're doing and you begin to eventually take yourself out of it. So that's why I think it's so important for people to know that at the very beginning when they start a business from the time they select a name to then how they develop their organizational structure. Yeah, I think that's so important because how many times do we, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, you create a business because it's your, you create a job for yourself, or you don't think about in the future how you're going to transfer something. And if it's your baby and you're passionate about it, you're not thinking about that, right? You're just building it and building your dreams. Yeah, it's so important. So, what are some of your client success stories? I have some awesome clients, I have to say. And so I mentioned the one earlier who is now positioned to really um, take advantage of the the value that she's built in her business during COVID. I've had a couple of clients who have really made some great strides during some really difficult times over the last year and a half. Also, I have a family business that due to the unique nature of their business, they are re- they are currently entertaining offers that are in the high eight figures of selling their business. And a lot of this had to do with, my work with them had to do with getting everybody on the same page because it's two different generations of a family business and they definitely were coming at this process from different places. So it was all about learning how to negotiate those different and competing goals and to make sure that if the business, if they do decide to ultimately sell, that everybody is going to walk away a winner. Another is a fourth generation family business who has found that there are differences, changes that they can make that adds value to their business. And they can do it relatively easily if they bring in some other advisors. So we've had, and this is another key, there's a, um, it's a franchise called Schoolie Mitchell. And I'm going to tell you, it has been such a gift to a number of my clients because Schoolie Mitchell can renegotiate people's contractual agreements with different vendors and save them so much money. I had one client who thought they were paying $1,000 a quarter for waste, and this was a manufacturing company. And as when Schooley Mitchell finished working with them, they discovered, number one, they were paying $1,000 a month, and they were able to then save them 68% on just their trash disposal. That's crazy. Serious money. 
So anyway, working with different, having my clients work with different advisors is super helpful, making sure that they look at how to save on their fixed costs, making sure that they have the opportunity to look at not a budget as a ball and chain, but a budget as freeing, right? So it's like, wow, you know how to make your money, you know how to spend your money and you know how to save your money. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, my clients are really special people. They're amazing business owners, but like the rest of us, they don't know everything. They know how to do their business or their make their product really well. And it's all the rest of it where I think people like you and me can be of so much help to a business owner. What do you think is your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? My truth is that there is strength in adversity. We don't have to know everything, but what we do need to do is find the answers or find the people that can help us. And we get stronger by admitting what we don't know and by allowing other people to help us. Yeah, that's really good. If you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be? I would really look at prioritization. And again, that was something because it just seemed like everything was so important when I was first starting out. And now I have a much clearer idea of what's truly important at the beginning of a business, because I've had the opportunity to see companies at all stages of growth and development and see where they have wasted their time, wasted their energy, and at times wasted their money. Oh my goodness. I can so relate with that. I think that when I started out, because I'm a digital marketer, I was focusing all on the social media. And it was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> I realize now how much energy and time I wasted. And because, you know, those, when you're building social media, for one, it's finicky. Yeah. And you can build a community one day and then the next day, they don't care about you anymore. They could like one thing that one piece of content you created and you get tons of people that follow you for it. And then they don't like the rest of your content. And I've just, I've learned even in the social media and the marketing realm that there are, when it comes to building your business, there are other things that you really should be focusing on first and allow the other things to be things that are just value adds to your business when you have that bandwidth and that room to be able to focus on those areas. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's such a bitter pill, isn't it, Amy? It's so, it's, oh, wow. If only I knew then what I know now, but yeah, I absolutely agree because I struggled. I struggled initially and I kept thinking to myself, like, what's it going to take? And it's funny because in building my agency, I was lucky enough to found a guy that wrote a book about how he and his buddies built their agencies and they failed the first couple of times because they did the exact same thing that I did. Focusing mm -hmm. on Facebook ads, focusing on like all of these other things. And until they, they basically said, we both failed until we decided that we're going to reach 2000 people a month to market our business directly to them and then focus on the stuff online later on. And I took that to heart and I, but I took it to a whole nother level. And I started to focus on building relationships with about 3000 people. And I'll tell you, I went from struggling to actually having clients. 
Oh, that's fabulous. Amy, I love yeah. that. Story. Within a month's time, I had 17 clients. And oh, that, great. yeah. And all just from relationship building, switching from creating the content to actually building relationships and under and focusing on the right thing. Mm-hmm. So many times we think, okay, what is the right thing? Oh my gosh, what is the right thing? When you're first starting out, you got to get clients and you got to get them now. Yeah, and and you, you, sometimes you have to do, I had to swallow my pride a little bit. I didn't want to do that. didn't want to reach out to people. I'm a little bit shy. I'm an introvert. I made all these excuses, but once I got over myself and actually was willing to do some things that were outside of my comfort zone, then I saw my business just take off. I hear so many other people that struggle with that same thing. And especially in the marketing world, you just see so many gurus out there saying, oh, just grow your social media. And it's, yeah. And then wait 10, 10 years before you actually have a business. I, I totally agree with you and have to say that it, that can become a very comforting security blanket, right? Because you don't have to go out and talk to people. You don't have to build relationships. You can just continue to write your content in your room and do the things that are easier to do. And to your point, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It's going to cost you. Yeah. 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 And it turns, you're going to get more people that are just buying your thing, buying the things that you have, not based upon the deep relationships and connections you have with them but based upon a transaction, it tends to be right. a little bit more transactional. Like they'll get to know you and maybe they'll see you a lot. I would do YouTube and people would see me and they feel like they get to know me. And so they trust me and then they'll purchase my products and services, but their loyalty only goes so far. It only goes as far as that one topic they're interested in. But when you start to go out and you build relationships with people and connect with them on multiple levels, even if you go through a transition in your life, they're still going to be friends. They're still going to be your connections. And I think that focusing on that, then you can change your business. You can grow it and create new things in it and, and transition a little bit. And you're still going to have connections. That's the difference that I see. It's so easy just to see a number on the screen and go, okay, I've got this many people follow me. And then I press this button and then I sell a bunch of courses, which you can do. But then it takes all that human, the human part out of it. And it can, especially for coaches and consultants that get fulfillment by actually helping people and connecting, I find that it's not a very fulfilling way to do business for most. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing that I'll say is that for, especially for your audience members that are coaches and consultants, if you want to get into the larger corporate arena or with government contracting, for example, you need to have a team. You need to have people that you can collaborate with so that again, because those larger organizations, they're not going to want to work with you if you don't have someone who, if you're sick that day, can back you up and step in and get it done. So it pays to build relationships with prospective clients, but it also pays to build relationships with your potential collaborators. And I want to just point out one more thing since we've talked about exit planning so much, a lot of times building these strategic relationships lead to the best candidates to become your future prospective buyers. It's a great way to see if you like somebody else's work. It's a great way to see if culturally the two organizations work or the two people work. 
And so if I were going to sell my company five years from now, but I've got 10 people that I'm collaborating with, I'm going to go to them first and say, would you like to buy Ascend Coaching Solutions? These are the contracts we've got coming up. These are the clients we're currently working with. You know them. They know you. Wouldn't you like to do that? That could be a slam dunk. If there are people that are listening that would like to work with you, what's the best way of contacting you? Oh, I'd love for them to either email me or give me a call. My email address is wendy at ascend coaching solutions with an S on the end.com. And my number is area code 804-372-7575. Perfect. And I'll put those links down below as well. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise, a, a topic that so many people brush by and they don't really go into depth. So I'm so glad that you did today. It has been my pleasure, Amy, and I wish you well. And I'm so glad that your listeners are at least taking some time to think about their future exit plan. Perfect. Thank you so much. And if you're listening, you want more information about A Call to Thrive, you can go to acalltothrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful week.